I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. This is part two of the two-part episode with my favorite thinker, Adam Robinson. Now, as I mentioned in the intro to part one and the entire first episode, you saw the breadth of experience that Adam has and how deep he can go on certain topics. I mean, he's got an incredible background. Being the founder of the Princeton Review, he's a rated chess master, an advisor to large head funds and financial institutions. And he uses a unique approach that combines game theory and behavioral economics to outthink global markets and anticipate when major trends will change. If you listen to the part one, you got to see some of the beautiful thinking that Adam does and how clearly he can articulate some of the biggest life concepts that any of us could spend time thinking about. So if you want to hear more from Adam, get ready for the second and final part of his episode where we talk about major things that have impacted his life, how do you get clarity around things that don't make sense, the ideas Adam feels have been most impactful to his life, and some of the most important questions we can ask of ourselves. So get ready to expand your thinking and learn how to go from theory to action with Adam Robinson. I am thrilled to tell you about my new online personal growth course called You Unleashed. You Unleashed is for those people looking to burst through the walls of their previous limitations and fears and tap into their greater potential, or what I call your You Unleashed self. This course is a culmination of the best things I've learned being a professional athlete, entrepreneur, investor, and spending thousands of hours sitting down with world-class performers on this podcast to uncover what you need to raise your potential to a new level. This course is going to give you clarity of what an extraordinary life looks like and who you need to become in order to achieve that life. Now, I'll provide you with the mindsets, behaviors, and actions you need to bring out your unleashed self. You'll uncover your deeper why, your values, and your life philosophy that will guide you moving forward. So the question is, why haven't you unleashed your full potential yet? You only get one shot at this life, so what are you waiting for? You're meant to become extraordinary. We all are. So if you're interested in stepping into your potential and cultivating the type of life you've been dreaming of, then check out my You Unleashed course by clicking below or going to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed and because you listen to the podcast i'm giving you 50 percent off the entire course for a limited time by using code wgyt that's what got you there.com forward slash you dash unleashed and use code wgyt for 50 percent off when opportunity meets preparation that, yeah that, that has me thinking adam you you've been remarkable at understanding the impact of questions and asking incredible questions. So this yeah. is this is going to be a little bit out there. I'm wondering though. Say you were someone's current day Bobby Fisher and your 13-year-old self runs into yeah. yourself on the street corner of 34th and 6th. What is the crucial question that 13-year-old should be asking of you? 
Uh, but see, I, I don't. Okay, that's an interesting question, right? And I, you know, I'm. I don't know that a 13 year old or anyone would get that interested in what Adam has to say or do, because it's such a, an eclectic, you know, path, right. That, that I've had. And that's why um, I see so much beauty in it. So, so maybe, you know, so any, anyone who said, what's the common denominator? You've done so many different things. Like, what links it all? And, and uh, like that would be an interesting question for me. And, and uh, yeah, but that's a really good question. You, you think about, um, so, so the power of questions. So the first time I, I met Buffett was at a fundraiser. It was a sit down dinner, 12 of us at a fundraising dinner. And don't, I'm not going to mention any names or anything, uh, but it was a fundraiser. So I'm not going to say what it was for, but it was, sorry, 10 of us with Buffett. And each of us paid a fair amount of money for the fundraiser to have this dinner. And each of us got to ask one question. The whole dinner, that was it. You could ask one question. And, uh, and not surprisingly, everybody asked him investment questions. It's Warren Buffett. Let's ask him about investing. I think it's something he knows about. And so it's my turn. And the reason we only got to ask one question is that we paid a lot of money to have dinner with Buffett. And, and, and everybody else, everybody at the dinner knew that everybody else would like start to hog the conversation if you could start to talk, right? I mean, I wouldn't have, but everybody knew that somebody there would start to like, you know, really engage too much and we'd pay to hear Buffett speak. Yeah, That was the rule, one question. So everybody asked about investing, this and that. And I asked him, my question was this, what keeps you up at night? This is a man who's thought about the world very deeply. He's been through a world war, a depression, many economic cycles, many cultural cycles. He's seen it all. And really one of the wisest men who ever lived, really, he and Munger. And um, so I said, what keeps you up at night? I remember saying, oh, hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> and uh, he's, because he's seen it all, not much keeps him up at night, right? And um, so, yeah, I think the question that you ask is anyone in that kind of situation, like, you know, that you just asked me, is it's a non-obvious one and it's, it's an authentic one. And, and, and when I met Fisher, who literally was my hero, I'd done nothing the last three years, but spend, I don't know, three or four hours every night playing over his games. And I wasn't trying to memorize them. I just, they were so beautiful. And, and, um, but I, I knew them all by heart, as it turns out. And so 
when I went up to him in that moment, I was authentic. There's something else in that moment, actually. And this is a really important, to go back to your earlier question about the ideas you live by, right? Is that my attention was totally focused on him. If I had thought for a, if, so there was no room to be self-conscious. And when I was with my mother a hundred yards away, I didn't hesitate for a second. I didn't go, okay, wait, there's Bobby Fisher. Okay, I said I'd spend the day with you. Let me think about this. It was like, boom. And and then when I was with it, when I immediately ran up to him, mind you, this is my hero. I wasn't, it, it didn't even occur to me to think about myself like, oh, what would he think if I ran up to him and asked him something? Like I, 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 I literally wasn't aware of myself. I was only aware of him and the question I had. And by the way, that was one question. I had hundreds of questions because I, I knew all of his games. So, so that was just the one that spilled out of my mouth yeah. first. And so, so that brings me to a, a really powerful notion, like inhalation, exhalation. This is another powerful notion that your attention should either be in one or two places at the task at hand or on the other person in front of you. You're either alone working on something. And if you're not, you're with someone, that person has your full attention. And then, and that was another epiphany for me. Well, actually, so I've always been that way, but about the power of that. And so like right now, my attention is on you. So I don't know, I have no idea what you are thinking about me. So there's no self-consciousness. There's, and, and so sometimes people say, Adam, wow, you seem so confident in, in public situations, but confidence would mean I was aware of myself. I'm not confident and I'm not, not confident either. I'm only aware of the person in front of me or the task at hand. And, and so when, you know, when you, when we get, when we encounter, when we become aware of a negative emotion, fear, doubt, anger, any kind of negative emotion, it's a reminder to refocus your attention on the person in front of you or the task at hand. That's really, and just do that. And, and other, other things will take care of itself. And if you combine that with that earlier notion about inviting others to play, now if someone's in front of me, they have 100% of my attention and I'm just looking to have a good time. Play and with no agenda other than the play itself. Right? There, there's a line I love. I, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but it, this makes me think of it. And that's ecstasy is attention at its fullest. It, it's, it's a line I've thought a lot about. That's fascinating. So the derivation of ecstasy. In fact, you're exactly right. Funny you should mention that. Because ecstasy is to be outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it means. You look up the derivation, it means to be outside of yourself. That's ecstasy. And again, my attention is 
is on the other person or the task at hand. So each moment, in a sense, is ecstatic, which reminds me of another, uh, well, it's a Greek word, enthusiasm. Um, and the derivation, people are always surprised, the derivation of enthusiasm, like the etymology from the ancient Greek, means to be filled with God. That the thus, enthusiasm, the thus is a, is a derivation from theo, like theology. Theo is God. And the, the Greek word for that, sorry, the Latin is um, inspiration, which means to breathe in God. And, and so, yeah, so you're exactly right on, on ecstasy. You're outside of yourself. And, um, and to be liberated from oneself. You know, uh, Michael Jordan once said um, that he never once thought about missing a shot. Right? And he couldn't because he was fully focused on making the shot. So, because if you're worried about missing the shot, your attention is totally misplaced. Right? And, uh, he missed lots of shots, but that never entered his head. Because he's fully focused on making the shot. If he didn't, oh, get the ball back. I stopped them from making the shot. So, yeah, attention is super important. I'm even blown away hearing about your 13-year-old self, that commitment, that, that dedication, that focus. Was, was that a skill you had prior, or was that love for what you were trying to do in chess? Did that bring that out of you? So it's interesting. Remember, it was a pretty simple goal. I just wanted to beat the kid in front of him. That was it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make the chess team. Swimming, I was totally dedicated to in a very, like, you know, and, um, like, notice I didn't, it didn't occur to me to go, oh, maybe I should find out someone who knows how to get, maybe there's a chess coach or a chess tutor or something. No. And I didn't actually think about, I didn't join the chess team until late my sophomore year, like a year and a half later. So I didn't. I just wanted to beat the kid. And then, oh, I really like this. Uh, I like Fisher's games. And I would just study them. And I thought, what the hell? I may as well play in tournaments. And, and um, so it didn't set out to be any grand goal, really. And, and so, but yeah, the 13-year-old self, you know, so you asked me something earlier, Sean, and you, you, you said about, you know, when you're earlier in your career, you're casting about, like, what is, what am I building here with my life? And I had a, a recollection only a few years ago about something when I was 12. So you mentioned the age 13. So I'm now addressing, I know you have men and women in your audience, right? And listening. Mm-hmm. I know this is true for men because I was because I am a man. I don't know if the same thing applies to women, but it's this, and I would assert it, that men know who they are, males know who they are, and will be in the world by the age of 12. 12, before you're 13. So, so what, for example, Buffett, when he was 12, 
his dad took him on a, on a trip from Omaha to New York. He was 12. And, um, and uh, this is 12, 1942, right? Depression, World War II, raging and stuff. And his dad takes him from Omaha to New York. And on that trip, takes him among various places, takes him to the New York Stock Exchange. And after that trip, Buffett turns to his dad and he revered his father. He said, dad, I'm gonna become the richest man in the world so that I can give it all away. That was a statement he made to his dad when he was 12. Okay, so get this. And I only realized this a few years ago. So um, it was a memory. So I remember when I was 12, it was a, a, a mid-spring day, say April or May, it was a Sunday and I was walking with my dad. I'm all at 12 years old. And, um, and I used to have really deep philosophical conversations with my father, always, like hours. And anyway, I'm, I'm talking about how much I hate school. Like, I hate school. Why do I have to go to school? Because I always just wanted to be left alone so I could daydream or read whatever I wanted to read. I didn't want to have to do things. Anyway, so I'm, I'm with my dad. And, uh, and I'm talking about how much I, I hate school. And he turns to me and he asks, so what are you going to do about it? Now, he was mean, he meant that as a philosophical problem. Okay, you, Adam, he was saying to me, you're in a situation you don't like. And you're, you have to go to school. There's, you're not getting out of that, buddy. So what are you going to do about it? In other words, how are you going to frame this? How are you going to approach this? In other words, how are you going to deal with the fact that you're stuck going to school? That was embedded within the question. And I said, and I remember to this day, but I, I had forgotten the memory. I remember to this. So I said, kind of frustrating. I said, I don't know, maybe one day I'll start my own. Right? Now, I had no entrepreneurial inkling at the time. I'm all 12 years old. It'd be like someone saying, oh, I hate food. And someone, and, and, and my father said, so what are you going to do about it? I don't know, maybe one day I'll start my own restaurant. Like, but that's what I said. I, like for a 12-year-old boy who hated school, and it wasn't like, oh, yes, I could do school better. I hated it. I didn't like it, and I think anyone else would like it. It's not like, oh, yeah, I want to torture kids too. Let them go to school. I, so I, I say that without any, I hadn't thought about it. Anyway, so mind you, I'm sharing a memory that, that I only had about three or four years ago. And, well, you know, because you know me and my background, uh, when I was 25, I got out, out of Oxford and a law degree, don't know what I'm doing. And a year later, I had co-founded a company called the Princeton Review. So I started a school 13 years after I said I was that still goes on today. Millions of kids have read things that I developed, you know, eons ago. <laughs> and um, and so and I, I, only, I remembered that memory only a few years ago. And I went, wow. 
I did start a school just like I told my dad. And it wasn't like a vow, like Buffett, his statement to his father, that was, that was a commitment. I'm going to become the richest, but he was proclaiming that. I wasn't proclaiming it. I, oh, yes, I'm going to start a school. No. And, 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 and I've asked other, my male friends, and they go, yeah, it doesn't have to be by the age of 12. Sorry, it doesn't have to be at the age of 12. But by the age of 12, and I say this, so if you are a male, and you're like, oh, what should I be doing in the world? That when you were a boy, you knew stuff about yourself. And I say the reason 12 is so important is to cut off is by the time you hit 13 and you enter puberty, all of a sudden you begin to compare yourself to other people and you know, uh, dating and all that, I got to look good for them. And, uh, and, and it muddies the core authentic proclamation. Like, is it just a boy? I want to do that. Hmm. Not to prove myself, not to. And, uh, so, so, so yeah, I think it's worth everyone. And it it may be true also for girls, women, you know, that uh, that their their path is that there's that's so worth revisiting your your childhood memories, the things you loved to do. Yeah. So there, that's another invitation. I'm inviting people to go back to their memories. And, okay, let's see. Yeah, that's right. I always liked riding horses. What was that about? Whatever it is. Yeah, that that's beautiful and such a I I feel like a very important exercise to do that. One of the things mm-hmm. you hit on there that just kind of has me thinking right now is around 13, you hit puberty, you're comparing yourself. It's almost like that childlike, it's, I mean, it's just unobstructed, authentic self-expression at that age. Mm-hmm. And that's how you uncover that through line, those golden threads. Exactly. Yeah. So well said. That's where you discover the through line because you just stated it. It was very odd, that through line for me, because I was an introvert. It wasn't like, I'm going to start a school so I can talk to others and this is how much of an introvert I was. So in high school, yeah, I'm on the chess team and I'm on the swim team, but basically those are the only people I talked to. And there were some people that told me after I graduated that they had never seen me speak, not once in four years of high school, not once, just in my own little world, right? And so, so, and again, I had that epiphany and I I was very much introvert my whole life and then Hmm. Something shifted about six years ago. Oh, people. Yeah. Adam's in a candy store with lots of people. Just have fun. Play. And uh, so, yeah, and I'm doing serious stuff in the world, and it's and yet it's all a form of play. Yeah, so with that, I one of the things that you've brought in tremendous clarity to for me in my life is deciding to, to not ask yourself the question, what do I want to do? But more importantly, who do I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Unless you love doing something, right? Like, oh, yes. Like Brady. Ah, football. I love football. I want to be a football player, right? And, and yeah, but it then becomes who do you want to be in the world? Which goes back to that, our, that earlier conversation we had about but what's, what statement are you making to the world? And the statement I'm making with much of what I do is play is really important in everything you do. 
I mean, philosophically important, not just, ah, you should have a good time. Really, that's the highest form of gratitude for the gift of life is play. And um, so, yeah, it's the highest form of reverence. And uh, again, the most serious things should be approached playfully. And uh, so anyway. Yeah, you mentioned some of the things you're doing in this world are, are pretty serious and they are. But what I have such a deep, profound respect for what you do is the clarity you can bring to those things where things don't make sense to the majority of people. Somehow no. you're able to find clarity there. I would love to just hear you talk through this. So, well, I, I mentioned before about my weakness because the weakness, the strength that comes out of a weakness is that I actually have a hard time understanding complexity, things that are really complicated. So I'm always, taking complexity, really, I have like a cocoa puff brain. And I, like I reduce it down to something that I can understand. And because I, in that process of distilling it down, I get to really core truths that are denied to people who can deal with complexity. But at that complexity is really unwieldy. And, and which is why you need, again, whether in performance sports, or art or anything, you know, boil it down to a few things, and then you can really use those things very well. And so, so yeah, it's all about distilling. And, you know, like I distilled the creative process or the, the human creation, like, okay, let's boil it down, okay. And much of it comes down to deconstructing it and and looking at it in the simplest possible way. And I, so I remember as a boy, my father, again, we had these deep philosophical conversations eight years ago. And uh, I remember he was saying something. He said, he said, if you can't explain it simply, you really don't understand it. And, and, and so language use, and most people explain things really in complex ways. I alluded to a very thick book by a very famous person on how to live your life. And um, hey, couldn't you boil that whole thick book? Give me just a few rules that I can, I can use. And, uh, and so it comes from a really ruthless insistence on, on making things simple enough so that I, Adam, can understand them. Hmm. And if I, I figure if I can understand them, okay, then other people can. And um, so, yeah, that's like when I, when I started the Prince Review with my friend, John Kantzman, and uh, I had no idea what I was doing when I started. I said, oh, maybe I'll tutor a couple kids a day, write novels on the side. And, uh, and it grew into the, what became the Prince Review. And... And so really, actually, now that you say it, I'm just thinking about this for the first time ever, is that it's the same thing that I threw myself into the chess. You just throw yourself into it and you just keep digging, digging, digging. And, and, and from that, you get some core, really few core principles. 
the ahas. And, and then you realize, wow, this is, think about it like this. When Wayne Gretzky was playing hockey, he was playing a very different game from everybody else on the ice, right? Same with Michael Jordan or anybody in any of those, or Bruce Lee fighting. He's, he's fighting, his fight is very different. He's actually than whoever his opponent is. And, and so, yeah, you just get the idea they're, they're looking at things very, these, these greats, very simply. And um, yeah, because it's the only way actually you can function at a very high level. Hmm. And um, so, um, one of my favorite questions, which I stole from Steve Cohen, the Mets owner. <laughs> and uh, I was talking with him about something and, and uh, he's his friend. And, um, and he said, well, how would you know if you were wrong? No, sorry, he said, what would you need to see to know that you were wrong, right? And there, that's a, a boom question. And because most people, when they're presenting ideas, whether it's to buy gold or invest in this or, or buy NFTs or whatever it is, they have a view and they're trying to convince you to do something. And always the question is, okay, well, thanks so much. Buy gold. What would you need to see to, to know that I should be shorting gold? They don't have an answer to that question. They haven't thought it through. And so, so that's a great internal check. Like, what would I need to see to know that I was wrong? And, and, uh, and so, of course, you know about confirmation bias, right? And so human beings are designed to look for information that confirms what it is they already believe. I'm doing exactly the opposite, always in real time. So once I form a belief, I am now actively looking to disprove it. I don't, if I believe X, let's say I believe that gold will go up. I've done the analysis, gold will move higher. I don't look for information to confirm what I already know. What, what would be the, that'd be a waste. So all I'm doing is I'm looking up, I'm looking at very specific things. What would I need to see to know I should be shorting gold? Like, oh, interest rates just spiked, gold's going down. But the dollar just jumped 2% this week, gold's going down. Like I, I have very specific things. And you can do that even in, in your personal life. Like what would I need to see to know that this person, like I think this person is committed to what I'm doing or what we're doing, but what would I need to see to tell me that that wasn't the case? And to, again, it's, it's anti-confirmation bias. So I think that's a really important, uh, another, another tool to add to our Batman utility belt yeah. when we go camping with Musk in Canada. <laughs> I, I hope that this, this question is, is really fascinating to me. I hope you don't view this as two in the weeds, but you do such a good job at deconstructing these timeless principles. And I'm just wondering for you, like, are you capturing these? Are you writing them down? So you revisit, or once you reach a deep truth, you just know it. And it's just, it's just in your head. Remember it's no, remember it's not in my head. Yeah. I'm living it. Right? It's not something I have to remind myself. I actually, really, so for example, I, this is a really good example. This is actually a very profound topic. So 
all of your questions are really good. Being in the weeds with you. So um, let's say I'm talking to somebody and I'm telling them this, for example, like when I saw Bobby Fischer, so, right? And and changed my life in a pretty significant way. And like how often does somebody bump into their hero, right? And that person is was a famous recluse. I'm like literally one of 10 people in his whole life that he ever like let in because he massively distrusted everyone, unfortunately. And um, anyway, so, oh shoot, now I lost train of thought. What was, that? what was I talking about just a second ago? So I was asking in terms of when, when you're deconstructing oh, these ideas, oh, right. Principle. You, you live them as opposed to just oh, right. having Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, now I remember. Now I remember the train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Again, Adam Kokopoff, I lost train of thought. So go back to, so if I, someone listening to that story might go, if they were right in the room when I was saying it, they might say, well, Adam, you know, there are no coincidences, right? How often have you heard someone say that? Yep. You know, there are no coincidences. Okay, so is the person asserting that, do they live their life by that statement? Like if you actually believed that there are no coincidences, and I'm, I'm confessing to you now that I don't. So, so for example, if, I, if you said, Adam, what are the odds that you would bump into your hero on a crowded New York City, and I wasn't even living in New York City. <laughs> I was living in Evanston and he would just happen to show up when you are on a corner that you almost never are on with your mother crowded. And I would say the odds looking back on it were a hundred percent, which is another interesting topic. Maybe we'll get to it. But, but so, so they say there are no coincidences, but they don't actually live their day-to-day -day life by that. Right. And so, any idea that I get, I ask myself, can I actually use this in real time? So, for example, I've told you that, that and you know this from other times that I've spoken about this, about creating fun and delight, like inviting others, be playful and invite them to play with no agenda. And... And so, so how do I live that life? So there are times when somebody says something and I, I'm going to go, eh, you know, get, like, oh, that's not true. And I will find myself in that moment in real time going, is what I'm about to say going to increase the fun and delight in the situation or is it going to do the opposite? And there are a lot of times they catch us and go, oh, I can't say that even though I'm really tempted. And, and, and so, yeah, there are a lot of times I go, mm, I, I want to say or do something, and yet I know it violates that principle. By the way, I'm not perfect at times when I do just go, yeah. and I, I don't, but as, as often as I can as a human being, other things equal, I ask myself, so there, I optimize around cre maximizing the play in any given situation. That's what I'm optimizing for. And, and so someone else might be optimizing to get noticed or oh, uh, this or that. And, and, 
and I'm not judging those, whatever, but, but I'm very clear about optimizing around something. So if an idea doesn't help you live your life or, or help others that you can share live their lives, like you started this off and said, well, we're, let's, we're going to up level here in this conversation. And we've actually discussed lots of things. So I don't write them down. I, I, I live them. And, and um, but I, because I, I don't think there's much to be said, really. I, I think that all that can be said about life, in other words, that would constitute, this is all the wisdom that is known, can be reduced down to a, a very few simple, like not, not much to be said. And then everything else is sort of a corollary of, of those few principles. And so, yeah, I, th I think it's about just living it and, and doing so mindfully. And do you really, this is so cliche, but walk the walk or walk the talk or you know what I mean? Like, do you actually embody that principle mindfully in real time, minute to minute? And, uh, and I, 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 it's so really vitally important. Like, you know, in anything you've read of Munger and Buffett, that they are absolutely living that day to day, minute to minute. That's how they live their lives. There's no doubt. And, and so, yeah, so, so I think that's really important to, to live mindfully around optimizing whatever you're trying to optimize in the world, you know, the, this gift we've been given. Hmm. And, um, and really as a planet, you know, I, I, I mentioned uh, that I'm, I'm doing some serious stuff in the world. And, 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 and so, so one of the things that I'm doing is I pose myself the following question. Um, and it's a pretty serious one. So what if um, humanity, our species, was at a critical existential crisis right now? That if we don't get this moment right, this moment, next few years, we are likely going to spiral down into a very bad situation, like possibly the, the end of our species. So um, Pascal, a French philosopher mathematician, he said, um, there's something known, of course, as you know, uh, Pascal's wager. Like he, he chose to believe in God because it's a four by four matrix. I believe in God or I don't, and God exists or doesn't. So, again, you go through the matrix. If I believe in God and he exists, yes, good for me. I'm lucky forever. If I believe in God but he doesn't exist, eh, no foul, no harm. If I, if I don't believe in God and he doesn't exist, no foul, no harm. But if I don't believe in God and he does exist, I'm in trouble. So you just go through the little four by four grid, right? Mathematician, philosopher, he was. He said, so therefore I choose to believe in God. So, 
So here's Adam's wager. So I, here's my conjecture. We are either at the end of times for our, our, our species, humanity, or we're not. And, and do you believe that or not? And if we are and we don't do anything, we're screwed. In other words, if we are, in fact, if this is like the end of the road, and I know people, of course, they go, oh, you're just being alarmist. In the past, we've dealt with very serious things, World War II, depression, lots of serious crises. In the moment, it seems it's never been worse. And I'm asserting, after a lifetime of thinking about things, this is, I, have, I can think of no other time in history ever that was this serious. And for, we don't have time to go into it, but, but so... I am either right in that assertion or I'm not. Punchline coming in about 60 seconds. So if Adam is right and we don't do anything, we don't change what we're doing. Remember, you're not getting the results you want. Got to change what you're doing. So if we don't change what we're doing, we're screwed. If Adam is correct. If Adam is incorrect, that it's not the end of times and we don't change what we're doing. Okay. It's still not a great world. Like, Clearly, they're big problems. And, 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 and if we, so if Adam is incorrect, it's not the end of time. So if we don't change, and if we do change, well, that's also good, because like, things could be improved. So either way, it argues that you should, we as a planet need change, big time, big time. Everyone listening to me right now has a sense that the world is flying apart. There's a great poem by uh, Yeats, uh, written in 1917, at the end of World War II, called The Second Coming. And he said, the world is flying apart. And, and the anarchy, and he, he said, the best lack all conviction and the worst of us are full of passionate intensity. And that's like such a description. Really, if you're listening to me right now, you should look that poem up, The Second Coming. It's very short, very, very short. And that's 1917, so 105 years ago, in the aftermath of World War I, which was horrific. So I said all that so to, to now make the following statement or ask the following question. If you thought it was the end of times and... In other words, for our, our species, like as, a, as humanity, we have really messed things up. And we have the technology now to do a lot of damage really quickly. What steps would you take? And you have to get it right. And I've been pondering that question for five years. And I, I've come up with an answer. Like, well, what would you do if you knew you had to get everyone to change what they were doing. And there was only one, you had one shot at it. Do you remember the movie Armageddon? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly right. So in Armageddon, those of you who you haven't seen, if you haven't, you're listening, you haven't seen the movie. So it came out like, I don't know, 2000, this comet is headed towards earth. And if Bruce Willis and his ragtag team of wildcatters, if they don't stop that comet, it's game over. So they have to stop the comet. And so I'm, I look at the world 
with that kind of urgency and have for the last five years and have addressed it. And, and, and I, I, I think I figured out an answer. It takes a little while and I'm about to publish a white paper on it called the Renaissance Project. And um, so, which is really in your, your questions, your in the weed questions have been so good because really it all circles back to who do I want to be in the world What's, and share. And there's play and there's a, a world that's really falling apart. There's a lot of pain in the world, clearly. And it's getting worse every day. And really, when I think back about history, I look back as the difference between now and then is the technology. We can do a lot of harm really fast, really fast. Genetic engineering just takes one virus to get out. We're all wiped out. Or a new life form. Oh, man. You know, AI is a very serious threat. There are all these technological threats not to mention the social and political and economic unrest in the world. Uh, I've been thinking very deeply. And again, here's the proviso to the question. What would you do and you knew you had to succeed, not make a best effort? Like you had to stop the comment. So, so there, that's, that's a question I've been working on very, as deeply as the other questions you've heard me think about. And again, have to succeed, not just good college try. Mm -hmm. so, so even though that sounds like a really a serious topic, and it is, I'm playful when I approach it and, I, and I'm gathering resources to, to make it happen. So there, yeah. Adam, thank you for this, for the wisdom, the insights, the, the the details along the way. This this has just been like we mentioned five years in the making. This was a, a true pleasure for me. I would love to know one final question though. If you could do this long form conversation with anyone dead or alive, just not a family member or friend, who would you want to spend the evening with? Just asking questions of. Wow. Wow, I, I, a bunch of names come to me. Um, oh, that's so tough. Okay, here's a thought experiment. I get to, I get to, I get to meet Jesus Christ and have dinner with him. And today, in other words, I guess start from today. And I say, did you, knowing that w much of your wisdom has been misinterpreted, would you say anything different? Seeing the world that you see today, if you could go back, and say things differently would just say things differently. And, and so there, that, that would be a very interesting conversation, you know? And because and, here's a man clearly, and he's not the only man in history or woman in history, was dedicated to 
up-leveling as many people as he or she could. And, and, and yet, if they were to look at the world and all the wisdom that they imparted, man, it, has it made a difference, right? And of course it has those, every piece of advice is an invitation to accept it or reject it. It <laughs> comes back to invitation, right? And they can only, you can only invite people here. That's the door out of your jail cell, human being. You, there, that's the door. You can open it, you can open, go right out. Or you can choose to stay inside your jail cell that you call life. You can, right, you can only point the way. <laughs> And uh, so, so there, I'd, I'd want to know that because it comes back to me, like trying to help as many people. So given what you now see, what advice would you give yourself and what advice would you now give me, Adam? So, so there, that's there, that's, but there, like, I could think of other people. Adam Robinson, that is a beautiful place to close out what I hope would be one of multiple conversations on what got you there. So thanks yes, again. Yes, I insist. Let's go back in the weeds. And I'm going to tweet and invite Elon Musk to go camping with us. And uh, what the hell? And, um, and ask lots of questions. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.